Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I am joined by Pamela Selig, and we're going to be talking about threads of yoga, themes, reflections, and meditations to weave into your practice. You are listening to Creating Wellness from Within, a podcast devoted to helping you live your best life through self-care and wellness. In each episode, we strive to offer you actionable advice and tools to help you on your journey towards greater personal wellness. I am your host, Amy Zalmer. I am editor-in-chief of Minnesota Yoga and Life magazine and the Brain Health magazine. Additionally, I've published four books on the topic of brain injury and concussion. I am passionate about yoga, wellness, photography, travel, and all things glittery. You can learn more about me at creatingwellnessfromwithin.com. Today, I'm here with Pamela Selig, and she is a yoga teacher and the author of Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. She began her yoga and meditation journey in 1991 when an illness interrupted her Wall Street career. Along with helping her recovery, the impact of her meditation led to a lifelong pursuit of perceiving and sharing yogic wisdom through practice, teaching, and writing. She completed her teacher training in 2006 at Integral Yoga Institute in New York. Pamela lives in New Jersey, where she practices yoga, teaches yoga workshops, writes, and empty nests with her husband, Bob, and dog, Bodhi. Welcome to the podcast, Pamela. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Mm. And I love when people put just that little bit at the end of their bio talking about, you know, where they live, who they live with, your dog Bodie. <laughs> yes. I love Something it. A little personal. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome. And I'm really excited today to talk about this. Um I'm, you know, I love yoga. I'm passionate about yoga and meditation. And so I'm really just excited to jump into this, but I wonder if you wouldn't want to start by sharing a little bit of how in, you know, in your bio, you mentioned that an illness interrupted your wall street career and yoga kind of led to your healing journey. Um, I wonder if you'd like to share just a little bit of that with our listeners. Oh, sure. Uh, well, this was a while ago, back in the late eighties. And uh, I was working on Wall Street in a you know pretty intense job, going nonstop. As at that time, not really having a good sense of balance, and uh, just going, going, going. Eventually, my uh, physical body started taking a toll. And um, one morning, I woke up and I had Bell's palsy, which I had never heard of. But it's when half of your face is paralyzed, so it's very dramatic. I went to the emergency room and was relieved to find out that it's not life-threatening. Um, it's actually not uncommon. Many people get yeah. this. Um, and uh, But it would be a waiting period mm -hmm. uh, to recover. And there's really nothing you can do. At that time, there was no physical therapy or anything. So I just went home. And uh, this was pre-internet. So um, I couldn't work. I couldn't... Uh, read really that was uncomfortable so i just started going to different doctors trying to find some innovative course of action and there was none but one doctor asked if i had ever tried meditation and i didn't but i sort of 
grabbed onto that. That was pretty progressive back then. It really was. I feel so grateful. Yeah. And, um, you know, at that time, I didn't know that meditation, you're really supposed to start slowly. And, you know, I teach it now. So I tell my students, 10 minutes is great. I didn't know that. So I just skimmed a couple of books and um, started meditating for hours. Again, balance wasn't my thing back then. (laughs) So I really meditated and um, had some experiences that I was fascinating to me. So I wanted to learn about those. So I just really uh, turned in that direction kind of slowly. I was a bit reluctant at first. This was not anything I would gravitate toward unless I had some sort of uh, dramatic situation. But anyway, that started me on this journey, which I'm so grateful for. Now, I had a decent recovery, and um, but it took a while. And um, eventually, you know, my life really turned to meditation. And then eventually, the physical postures kind of did it mo- how, opposite of how most people do, do that uh, journey. But um, that's what got me into this subject matter. So when this happened to you, I'm guessing you were like early 20s at the time? Yeah, late 20s, early 30s. Um, yeah, so it was a, a, a long time ago. And I feel now I feel lucky because it was not mainstream. It wasn't trendy. Mm, no. When I started to do, you know, talk about it, when I really had, you know, I could feel the benefits and I would start to talk to people about it. It was like, oh, a little wacko, you know, <laughs> and especially it was for me, I had always, always gone down a very sort of traditional path. Like I always was, you know, trying, going to, you know, school and then getting good grades and um, do it, getting a job, you know, moving into New York City, trying to be successful in the very traditional ways. So to be seen as this non-traditional was very uncomfortable for me, Um, but I saw the benefits. And so I started to slowly get over that and go a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper throughout the years. Yeah. And like I said, that was pretty progressive back then for a doctor to recommend meditation. I mean, you're lucky if someone recommends it now, even, um, you know, in 2022, I guess we're in. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it is, it's just kind of remarkable that somebody uh, turns you in that direction. And like you said, Bell's palsy, there's really nothing um, to be done for it. And I think even now there's really not they don't still fully don't understand why and how it happens. Um, I know I had, uh, they thought I had it at one point. Uh, I was probably my mid thirties at the time. Um, and then it just kind of went away as quickly as it came. So we're not sure what it was, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's not, mine wasn't painful, but it is, it's just kind of disruptive. Um, you know, like, especially if your one eye is drooping and your mouth is drooping. Um, but share with us a little more. So your, your journey with yoga, and like you said, you kind of went to meditation first and then you discovered the physical practice and, and how that ebbed and flowed and evolved for you, um, getting your teacher, um, training certification in 2006, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
uh, I stayed in the financial industry for you know, five to seven years. So it was a slow process of, of learning more. Um, and I was really fascinated by the philosophy of yoga. Um, and I began going to a particular school in New York City where I live called Integral Yoga Institute. And it's in one of the oldest schools in the country. There's one in all, they're, they're all over. But um, it was fascinating to me that the philosophy was really about um, managing your thoughts, that you know, you are not your thoughts, which was a, like a revolutionary concept mm-hmm. that I had. I thought I was, you know, I had my mind and my body, and that was me that made up who I was. And when I learned that yoga teaches that if you think that, that you're your mind and your body, that's who you are, that is a great tragedy that you're actually missing who you really are. And the way to find out who you really are is to quiet down the mind. And yoga really is the practice of this quieting down the mind. There's different ways to do that. Um, Quieting down the mind so you can tap into this this true nature is one way to put it, the way uh, the the yogis put it, the true nature, true essence below the thoughts. Um, And they share the yoga sutra is written by Patanjali about 2000 years ago. That's that was the inspiration for my book when I uh, really got into this text. Um, it's laid out very clearly in this eight-limbed path. Yoga is the quieting of the mind. And how to do that, the author Patanjali uh, provides this eight-limbed path. One of the limbs is postures or asana in Sanskrit. So they're important, but it's not all that, it, that there is mm, in yoga. It's just one right. element. And many people, especially in our in the West, in the United States, think that yoga is just these bendy postures, mm-hmm. as I did initially. Mm-hmm. But that's just one way. To, yeah, yeah. It's one way to quiet the mind. And it's beautiful bringing awareness into the physical body for many people the first time. Um, but the other limbs include uh, breath work. Two limbs are meditation. Uh, some ethical precepts. So it's a, it's really a, a, a map um, to find uh, our own, ourselves, to know that ourselves below the thoughts, um, using the body and using the mind. But if we think that's who we are, that I think is the, the real issue. And so many people just unknowingly don't know that there's more to them below that. In fact, that's the key to to happiness really according to the yogic tradition so yeah um i got off on a little tangent <laughs> i didn't really go into my background but basically no it's all right two, around 2006 that's when i i did get my certifications and teacher training with the integral yoga institute which is founded by uh what i who i consider my root guru swami Satchidananda. um he passed i never met him physically he passed but his teachings are so beautiful and um, then in 2009, I opened my own studio and I started teaching in my community at actually a local convent and it grew. So I, I eventually opened my studio, which um, I had for nine years and then sold it in 2018 when I moved and um, not knowing there was, of course, a global pandemic coming. Yeah. So, um, but um, learned a lot, you know, about 
what students were asking for, what um, teachers were trying to get help with teaching. And that's really the information that I tried to include in my book. You know, what students can learn that's a little bit more than you can get like in a 60 or 90 minute class, um, but still not that uh, complex as reading an ancient text, sort mm, of the information right. that I sort of think everybody should know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of that, some of the ancient texts can be um, complicated to read, especially if you're not familiar with Sanskrit. Um, Mm -hmm. So I appreciate anytime somebody can put it more eloquently and a little easier for people to understand because not everybody wants to learn Sanskrit. I mean, you know, it, it is, it's challenging to learn another language and then, um, you know, they just, they just want the information. They truly want to uh, further their practice. And so I appreciate people like you who are able to offer it in a, an easier to digest version, I guess you could say. Yeah, like modern, modern language. Yeah, and yeah. Modern, like, but I do think the Patanjali's, you know, the sutras. There, the sutras are little, almost sentences. There's a, it's made up mm-hmm. of 196 of these little sentences, and it's amazing when I read them. They're so, they're kind of tough to to misinterpret. You know, it's easy yes. to misinterpret anything. You know, yeah. But it's like he was very like specific. He was a genius in the way that he wrote, like the second sutra is yoga is the quieting of the mind. Mm -hmm. Now you can translate that differently. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. There's many different, but they're minor, you know, different. It's basically that idea of quieting down that chatter. And to me, I didn't even know you could do that. You could that. the I thought the right. mind was just its own little thing, like the wind. You know, you can't really control it, but you can. And to me, just knowing that helps so much, even if you can't really do it yet. And we're, we're not going for total quiet, just, right. you know, getting a grip, quieting it down, knowing even if you can't do it, but you know that you can when you're, especially when you're triggered and you're kind of like freaking mm-hmm. out. You're so, like, I can't quiet down right now, but at least later, I know that I'll be able to. Knowing that I think is so, so helpful. Yeah. I meet so many people who are like, oh, I, yoga's boring. I can't do yoga. Oh, I'm so bored. Meditation's boring. And it's like, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> It does. It takes practice. And that's why it's called a yoga practice or a meditation practice, because you have to continually practice at it. And, you know, especially meditation, it's not like overnight that you can quiet your mind because Mm -hmm. our minds are loud. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but there are ways to just calm it down and, I, what I found are the most, most of the time, the people that tell me, oh, I can't do meditation. I just, I can't, my mind's racing too much. It's like, you're the one that needs to try meditation, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and oddly enough, you know, they're the ones who need it the most, who are so resistant to trying it. Um, yeah. And I've had a few converts. I've gotten a few of them who I've been able to get them to try it and they, they love it once they begin to understand it and it's okay if your mind wanders, right? Like that's what your mind's going to do. It's just how 
you cope with it when it wanders, right? Absolutely. Exactly. That it's a new relationship with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, my experience is about 90% of the people that try meditation say, oh, I can't meditate. My mind is too busy. I tried. My mind is actually just too busy, but that's everyone. And the first step of meditation is actually becoming aware of how busy your mind is. That's part of it. That when you, when you take a breath and you close your eyes or, or look down and you notice the thoughts, how busy they are, that's actually meditating. That's the very first step stage. Then you can notice and employ certain techniques to help quiet it down. But I, I think 90% of people, that's the first kind of hurdle. If you get over that, I find there's another hurdle that that cuts out like eight, the additional 8% to get to 98%. And that's people that once they close their eyes or quiet their mind, memories or things come up that they can't really deal with. It's almost terrifying, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's, I, I like to talk about that to people because I think if you're aware that this might happen, it's a little bit easier to handle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have trauma to different degrees. And when it comes up, it's not easy. And sometimes you need help and talk to a friend or counselor, or maybe your technique will help enough, whether it's mantra or breath. And, but that can tell, can people just say, oh no, I don't like to meditate. I'm not going to go there. I don't want to go there. And, um, but usually what comes up, even though it may be painful, it's time for it to go, or at least part of it to yeah. kind of relieve the pressure. Because it takes a lot of energy to hold those thoughts down. Mm-hmm. So it's part of healing. But And sometimes we need help, but that's okay. You don't have to do it all yourself. But, um, but anyway, I think knowing about meditation is such a transformative practice and just so rewarding and helpful. But it's not necessarily easy. And so I think knowing that is is good um, preparation for um, for what lies ahead. And Pamela, what about like yoga nidra? How do you incorporate that into your teaching? Well, I think um, in in my book, in every chapter, I provide some practices. And every single chapter has yoga nidra (laughs) because for me, it's my favorite thing. I love it. And Mm -hmm. that is basically when you lie down or sit really comfortably and consciously relax different parts of the body. It's like a guided meditation. Um, And there's many different ways to do that. And I find that incredibly helpful um, because you can experience these deeper states Uh, more easily, especially initially when you're a beginning meditator, if somebody guides you through and so you get super comfortable after an asana practice, after movement, this is easier because you've worked, you've warmed the muscles, you've uh, expended energy and it's easier to relax and let go, but you don't have to, you can just relax. Um, kind of feel the weight, let the weight go into the floor, the cushions, and relax different parts of the body. And when you become relaxed, then you're guided to observe the thoughts. 
And so in a very relaxed way, you can observe thoughts. And then you're guided to notice that you're not the thoughts. You're actually the observer of the thoughts. So this is an experience of seeing that you're not the mind. You're actually beneath or beyond or however you like to see it. You're the observer of the mind or the witness of the mind. This is, this is an elevated state just in this understanding that you're not the thoughts. I get, I think 99% of people never notice this. They just are in it for their whole life. And from the yoga perspective, that, that's called when you're asleep. When you're mm. in your thoughts, you're not aware that mm-hmm. you're aware. You're actually the awareness behind your thoughts. And when you get to that deeper place, and you experience it in yoga nidra, you can more easily bring that into your regular day-to-day life. You know, you can be walking, you can be in a difficult conversation with someone, take a breath, and even as you're in the conversation, notice how tense you are, notice you can relax, notice that you can say, wow, I'm really uncomfortable right now, but stay with it and experience the conversation in a more conscious way, in a more uh, directed from a deeper part of yourself. And this is the practice of yoga, this living from becoming more aware, more conscious of the choices that you make. So on a practical level, um, extremely helpful. Yeah. And, you know, I really think yoga nidra is a great place for beginners if to meditation because it is guided and same with any sort of guided meditation. Um, you know, I think often people think you just have to sit in silence for meditation and, you know, um, it doesn't have to be that way. There's, there's great meditation apps out there. There's great guided meditations and, you know, again, just starting small, maybe you set that timer for five minutes and then work up to 10 and then 15, um, you know, and honestly, you can do meditation anywhere, right? Like if you're riding the subway, you can take a few minutes to just center yourself and just do some breaths and just kind of clear your mind. And I do it at stoplights, especially like if I'm in some rush hour traffic, I'll do it and just try to like center and ground myself so I don't get road rage. Right. Um, So it's it's not, it doesn't have to be as complicated as I think some people make it in their mind. Yeah. That's, that's the specialty of the mind. Let's complicate this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The first, the first technique I think is kind of, illustrates what you're saying is um, the primary technique people use initially, the most common or popular is the breath. And it's amazing. Like, I think because we breathe uh, without thinking, we don't realize the power that it holds. And in yoga, it's like, they really have uh, the ancient yogis, the teachings unravel this power that we all have. It's like dormant. But it's so simple because when you bring your attention to the breath, and you can do it by just feeling the ribs expand on the inhale and relax on the exhale, what you're doing is you're creating the mind-body connection. You're bringing the mind into the body so the mind-body connection is made just by feeling the breath expand the ribs and relax the ribs. You are meditating. You are now out of your thought stream, 
out of that monkey mind, it's called sometimes, or just that uh, kind of disconnected uh, place to be. We have our mind. It's a wonderful tool. The yogis say the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Should not be in charge. So when we bring our attention into the physical body, feel the breath, we're coming out of that thought stream. We're grounding ourselves. And just that little act just connects us to who we are, to ourselves. Then, of course, you can take that deeper, stay longer, uh, live in a, in a way that is, you know, much more connected. But it just starts with the breath, whether you're driving, whether you're speaking to someone, whether you're dealing with a difficult situation, it's coming back to the breath. It's so easy, but maybe not, I would say maybe it's simple but not that easy sometimes when we get triggered. But that's why, as you say, it's a practice. You mm-hmm. get better at it. It becomes more automatic over time. Mm-hmm. You know, I know when I first began my yoga journey back in college, which was the late nineties, um, I hated Shavasana, hated it. Like, why do we got to lay here for 10 minutes? Like, come on, let's do something else. I, I in my mind would just be like, I got a test to take, or I need to go here right after class or whatever. And you know, it, it took a while, but I started to realize, cause nobody really explained why we do Shavasana and, and the importance of it. And then finally I had an instructor that explained it all. And I was like, Oh, and so I try really hard with my students. If I know there's someone new in class, like to really explain why we do it um, instead of just like jumping up and, you know, leaving when you're done. Um, and, you know, I think it, it it like if you've never like learned the why behind why we do the things we do, um, you just don't understand and you don't really care. You're not that interested in it. Right. Yes. And I think a lot of it, it depends, I think, on your personality to know why we do something. It can be a motivator. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. for a lot of people. That's that clicks it in. Yeah. But that's me. I t- <laughs> yes. I totally understand what you're saying. I think that Shavasana, we know now because of all the scientific research, the benefits or the how stress hurts us. Yeah. You know, the cortisol and it really yep. hurts every system in the body. I feel like Shavasana is the reverse. When you lie there, you relax everything. You go into this parasympathetic res- response, rest and digest. You are flooding your system with these healthy, ke- it's healthy chemistry. It's the relaxation response. It's the opposite. It's what we all need. Mm-hmm. It's the antidote, I think, to our modern culture. 10 yeah. minutes of that, huge. It's a reset. Yep. Um, and I don't think we understand scientifically the benefits yet, but when you do it, you can feel it. Yeah. It changes Agreed. everything. Yeah. yeah. Pamela, this has been such a great conversation. I could just talk to you all day about this. Um, but I want to make sure we take a time, take time to mention your website is Pamela And as always, we have a clickable link in our show notes. Um, but tell us a little bit about what people can find on your website. Sure. I think everything's there. Um, Links to the book, although that's available in bookstores and on Amazon and any classes that I have will be on on the website as well. Most of them are online now, 
but a couple of meditation classes that um, are really um, fulfilling and rewarding to teach. So thank you. Oh, wonderful. And you said people can find your book right on your website as well? Yes. Perfect. Well, Pamela, thank you so much for being here and sharing. And I, I just, I, I look forward to talking to you more because this has been such a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed our conversation so much as well. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please consider leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening to help others on their own wellness journey, discover this podcast. I also invite you to join me on Patreon and you can help support the podcast for just $5 a month, which is roughly the the cost of a cup of coffee. And that's patreon.com slash Amy Zellmer. Thank you all for being here. Have a great day and I'll see you in the next episode.